it's actually very important that in order to fight faster payment fraud, you have you know real-time engines which look at the data and they can stop a transaction from happening in real time because with faster payments comes faster fraud. Fraud and growth are really two sides of the same coin, right? In fact, what we have seen is that if you do fraud prevention better, you can actually increase conversion rates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, coming to you from New York City. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early-stage fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you enjoy this conversation, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your show so more people can learn about fintech leaders. In this episode, I sit down with Soups Ranjan, CEO and co-founder of Sardine, a fraud prevention company that's on a mission to make payments instant and risk-free. Sardine enables companies to improve risk management through a single API for fraud detection and compliance within financial services. Founded in 2020, Sardine has raised around $75 million from A16Z, Nika, Activent, FJ Labs, Visa, and a long list of impressive folks. We discuss what he learned about fraud in his role as head of risk at Coinbase, where they had to prevent attacks against the most sophisticated fraudsters and even nation-state attackers, examples of some of the most creative fraud attacks they are seeing these days and how Sardine helps fight and prevent them, the urgent need in the industry for real-time transaction monitoring, why fraud and growth are two sides of the same coin, and just a lot more. Soups, welcome to FinTech Leaders, honored that you are joining us all the way from California. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Miguel. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story and hear about Sardine. I've followed you guys essentially from day zero because I have a lot of friends that got started with you. But Soups, tell us a bit about your background and you know how you got involved in the fascinating world of anti-fraud. Absolutely, yeah. So I've been working in the field of fraud prevention or cybersecurity for the past roughly 20 years. In fact, my PhD thesis, which I got from Rice University, was in the field of network security. And then my first gig after my PhD was for a network security startup selling cybersecurity software to government agencies as well as big telcos. And then the next five years after that, I worked on click fraud for ad tech companies. And then the last 10 years, I've been working in the space of payment fraud or identity fraud. So yeah, I have not known of any other field of work besides catching the bad guys. You were at Coinbase before, right? And then where did you start seeing the need for the solutions that you're building at Sardine? Yeah, absolutely. So I was head of risk for Coinbase from 2015 to 2019. I got... Attracted to Coinbase 
especially because, you know, when you're running a large-scale Bitcoin exchange, because at that time there was no crypto, it was only Bitcoins, then when you're running a large-scale Bitcoin exchange, then you attract the most sophisticated fraudsters as well as nation-state attackers, right? And solving the fraud problems at a fast-growing crypto exchange like Coinbase was the thing that attracted me the most to them, right? I was one of the first 15 engineers who joined them. I wrote up the machine learning algorithms from scratch over there. And then I helped launch our instant ACH on-ramps as well as guard-based on-ramps at Coinbase and built a lot of the compliance internal tooling as well. It was definitely one of the most exciting phases of my career. And so let's talk about the beginning of Sardine. When did you start it? Because it's been at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, four to five years around there. And even then, there were already multiple anti-fraud solutions and multiple providers for incumbents, for fintechs. So what was it for you that kind of led to the thought of like, you know what, I want to create another one. No, absolutely. Yeah. So first and foremost, we are three and a half year old startup. We are a COVID baby, so to say. We got started right before COVID hit. Now the, the idea for starting the fraud prevention company had always been at the back of my mind, especially when I when I started at Coinbase. So I came from the world of, you know, ad click fraud or cybersecurity. I was not a payments expert, so I had to very quickly become an expert in all things payments and also all things compliance, right? KYC, et cetera. And there's a lot of deep knowledge and a learning, steep learning curve that you have to go through. So then at that time, since I didn't really know payments, what I did was I started something called Risk Salon, which was essentially a think tank or a gathering of sorts of heads of risk from different companies. We then grew it into like a 2000 plus organization. We had yeah, monthly meetups. We had three conferences and these were heads of risk from, you know, all the popular up and coming Silicon Valley startups like Airbnb, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, et cetera, as well. Now, at that time that I realized that if you want to, you know, become an expert in fraud prevention, today, there's no, no venue for you to learn. And then I saw that there was sort of two waves, right? Like wave of fintech startups and then the wave of crypto as an infrastructure play. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs who want to create something. They want to create a new fintech, but they will have to go through a similar journey as I had to, which has become an expert in all things fraud and compliance. So what we do at Sardine is we enable you to hire Sardine fraud and compliance as an API, right? So that you as a fintech entrepreneur, et cetera, you don't have to worry about those hard problems and you can worry about your product market fit or scaling your, your company's mission. Right. So that was like personal journey translating into, you know, why create a company such as Sardine. And I'm always curious when I hear stories like yours about the initial days, specifically about your initial clients, right? Because you, you at some point had to go out and convince a few of these folks that are heads of risk to outsource one of the most important functions within the company to you. So tell us about maybe those, call it design partners, those initial customers. No, absolutely. Yeah. So a couple of them that I would share. So I was lucky to have worked at two fast growing startups such as Coinbase and Revolute. 
So then the folks who were working at these companies, when they go on to go start new companies, they naturally wanted to benefit from, you know, a new up and coming modern fraud and compliance stack, right? So some of our initial customers were essentially folks, ex-employees of Coinbase Revolut who went on to start another, other companies, right? So one in particular that I would mention is, for example, Nadav Hollander was the CEO of Dharma, which is a crypto wallet then that got acquired by OpenSea. So Nadav was an intern for me at Coinbase. So I reached out to him when I started Sardine and he became one of our first customers for all fraud prevention stack. And then there are many other ways via which, you know, we acquired the first set of customers, right? People would write to me to hire me as the head of risk. I would then quickly convert the conversation into, hey, I'm not looking for a new job, but here's something that I'm building. Would you be interested? Right? So yeah, so just tapping into my extensive network and my co-founders networks is how we initially got started. You eventually gave them a way to hire you just, you know, indirectly. Yes. Yeah. So you are hiring Sardine as an API. And so let's talk about some of the most, I guess, interesting and, and eye-popping vectors that you're seeing in fraud these days. You know, I've talked to other leaders in your space, and what I keep hearing is that the attacks tend to be coordinated, creative, and, and quick. would love to hear some examples of, of what you're seeing today. Absolutely, yeah. So some of the, the most creative attacks that we're seeing are phishing done via social engineering. We are also seeing a lot of you know phone thefts, physical phone thefts, which lead to someone draining your bank account, right? And then, of course, you have the, the classic stolen identity slash synthetic identity fraud. So I can go into each of those, right? The first one, social engineering scams, right? It takes multiple forms, right? So it doesn't matter if it's crypto or bank. It's still social engineering is the vector where someone reaches out to you and either convinces you to buy crypto by claiming to be a crypto investment advisor, or they can pretend to be some a representative of your bank saying that, hey, Miguel, I'm calling from your bank. We owe you a refund. But before we give you that $100 of refund, you got to send the bank like you know, $75, right? To prove that you are who you say you are. And in all those cases, what they do is they then get you off the phone, onto your computer, ask you to install software like TeamViewer, AnyDesk, or Citrix. These are remote access tools, which are typically used by customer support agents to walk you through your problem that you're having on your computer. However, in this case, of course, it's a scammer walking you through it. They get you to log in into your bank, and then at a moment where you're not paying attention, they blank out the screen, so you don't really know what they're doing, and then they withdraw money from your bank account to a destination they control, right? Or in the case of a crypto exchange, they take money out of your crypto wallet into a crypto address that they control, right? Now, if you really think about it, from a classic fraud prevention technique point of view, the bank or the crypto exchange, they would have, they would see that it's Miguel, Miguel's IP address, Miguel's device ID. So from that point of view, they would never be able to detect that it was not Miguel doing this, except if they installed Sardine's SDK then we would actually tell them that, hey, it was actually not Miguel controlling his screen or moving the mouse on his screen or typing anything. It was someone else doing it. And then the fact that, you know, maybe they have you on the phone as well when you're doing it, or maybe they're asking you to take screenshots or record your screen because fraudsters also need to be paid 
they ask you to record the screen so that they can then take that information up the chain of command, right? So those are some of the techniques via which we detect that fraud attack vector. Now, of course, I, I don't want you to reveal anything in case you would, we never know who's listening. But how do you stay ahead of the curve to prevent other attacks that are, you know, this, you've just described something. It's at this point, it's commonly known. Obviously, it's not easy to prevent it. You're helping with that. But I'm guessing you're also working on anticipating other types of frauds. Where are these attacks going to come from? How do you stay on top of that internally at Sardine? Yeah, no, absolutely. So two different ways, right? So one is fraud prevention is something which cannot be done by machines alone, right? So you have to have humans in the loop, which are prior fraud fighters, et cetera. So what we offer is when you hire Sardine as an API for fraud prevention, we also give you a team of professional fraud fighters, right? Who then are constantly looking at your traffic looking at your payments, looking at your KYC data, and they are staying on top of it and then creating new rules for you or passing the feedback back to your our machine learning team to update our machine learning models, right? So there's constant feedback loop via that process. Secondly, everyone who integrates Sardine, we ask them to pass us feedback data, which in this case really just means chargebacks or ACH return data, so that you know, we can consistently keep learning. And certainly the, the most important thing in fraud prevention is to have all the data in place in case you get hit by fraud, then you can go and look at what happened and see you know, if you could have caught that fraud attack using the data. So what we offer to our customers is you know, a behavior biometric slash device intelligence SDK, both in web as well as mobile, where it looks at you know, how you type, swipe, scroll, how you move the mouse, how you hold the phone. It also fingerprints the browser, fingerprints the device. And all of the data is gathered you know, transparently in the background in a privacy-preserving way. So that whenever there's a fraud attack, you can go back and look at it, right? And these are all intrinsic behavior features. These are you know, features that you know, the fraudster will not even be aware that we are actually collecting about them. And the key word here is intrinsic because you know, no matter what a fraudster does, they will never change their intrinsic behavior. If they have a bunch of student credit cards, they're going to context switch and copy paste that, right? So that's how we catch them. Now, we were talking about this offline and, and you mentioned that something you've been thinking about lately is the need for real-time transaction monitoring for industry, but especially for banks. Maybe tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the need for real-time transaction monitoring is pretty important now, especially with new faster payment methods about to be launched or as faster payment methods take prevalence. For example, you know, Miguel in, in Brazil, like PIX has taken off by Storm, right? And we are hoping that, you know, RTP and Fed now similarly take off very quickly in the US. However, banks today, they still work on core processing engines, which are, you know, which were written actually three or four decades ago. In fact, some of them were written in COBOL, right? So they're still like maintaining that stack. So you are actually adding like a Ferrari engine on maybe like name a very old car, like a really, really old car's body, right? Chassis. So it's actually very important that in order to fight fast payment fraud, you have, you know, real-time engines 
which look at the data and they can stop a transaction from happening in real time because with faster payments comes faster fraud, right? And also especially because with all these new payment layers, right, FedNow or RTP, we haven't yet figured out, you know, where does liability sit, right? Like if a consumer gets socially engineered into taking money out of their bank account via RTP or FedNow, right, the consumer is going to come back and say to the bank, hey, you know, you didn't do anything to help me prevent it. At that point of time, in order to continue winning the trust of the consumer, the bank better have an answer to say that, hey, you know, we did X, Y, and Z, and we are going to do A, B, and C in future as well. I mean, we can look at UPI in India, which has been around at this point for a few years. Have you drawn any lessons from the market? How are they preventing fraud and also real-time payments? So I'm guessing it's, it's along the lines of what you just described. Yeah, so absolutely. So in fact, yeah, PICS, UPI, and uh, faster payments in the UK, they're all saying that with these real-time payment methods, there's increasing scams, and there are you know, the, the dollars being lost to scams is far eclipsing the dollars being lost to credit cards, right, for credit card fraud. The way we at Sardine solve for it is the following, right? Again, a lot of these faster payment scams are going to be social engineered, Right. So therefore, when we talk to banks or, you know, payment processors or fintechs, we tell them that, hey, drop in the Sardine SDK in your withdrawal pages. Right. And then we can monitor if, you know, Big World was being duped, if someone was social engineering you to send money via RTP. Right. So that's one. The second big need is that we need to build, yeah, a pretty comprehensive database of identities of counterparties. And what I mean by this is, like, Miguel, if today you are paying your gardener, right, via cell, you see your gardener face-to-face, you can ask them, okay, what's your phone number? And then when you send money via Zell, you know it actually went there, right? But when you're sending money online, right, no one has a database of counterparties' identities matched to their payment method, right? And at Sardine, we are setting up you know, one of the industry's first consortiums to go about building such a counterparty database, right? Because we want banks, fintechs, you know, payment processors, et cetera, collaborating together to really verify the identities of the counterparties online. Let's talk about the relationship of growth for a company and fraud, right? How do you think about this trade-off that companies have to make about how fast do I grow, how fast do I convert versus, you know, how do, how do I balance maintaining fraud, you know, as low as possible? Yeah, no, absolutely. So fraud and growth are really two sides of the same coin, right? In fact, what we have seen is that if you do fraud prevention better, you can actually increase conversion rates. So I'll give you one example. So we also run a second line of business, which is our crypto on-ramp business, right? Uh, because we got really good at fraud prevention, we said, okay, when you are allowing folks to purchase crypto, the hardest thing to do is fraud prevention. So we might as well move the money. And today our crypto on-ramp is being used at, you know, wallets like MetaMask, Brave, Ledger, Exodus, etc. And what we realize is that typically in the industry, other card to crypto on-ramps, they achieve like 50 to tops, like 70-ish percent conversion rates, right? 
when we launched, we are hitting like 85% conversion rates. And the reason for that is we actually stop a lot of bad traffic upfront. The 15% of traffic that we stop upfront is never sent to the issuing banks. So the issuing banks, we are consciously training them into believing that Sardine is a trusted counterparty to them, right? So their fraud algorithms don't start blocking anything that Sardine is sending, right? So that's how you can achieve a good balance between fraud and growth. And when you talk to industry leaders, maybe leaders in anti-fraud, growth, or even at the very top, CEOs, specifically for a financial company, is this how they see it? How do they think about fraud within their roles? I would say, you know, consistently when I look at which financial services company is doing well versus which ones don't, the ones who do well are those who actually think about fraud and compliance a lot. Like even the C-suite or the CEO, they're very aware of the need for a better fraud prevention tool, right? Either they build some of it in-house or they go and buy best-in-class products externally, right? But they have to have, you know, fraud front and center. They have to have the heads of fraud or the heads of compliance, you know, taking, or they, they have to have like conversations with them on a regular cadence. Because if you lose track of it, then, you know, you will lose track of your margins. Oftentimes, for example, if you don't do that very well and your growth team is actually, let's say, spending a lot of money to acquire customers, then if you don't account for fraud rates in your CAC, in your customer acquisition cost, right, then it becomes lopsided because you may have spent a lot of money to just acquire fraudsters via ad campaigns, right? One thing I, I want to ask you, I think you're the right person. Oftentimes, when there's this debate about crypto versus the traditional financial system, a lot of the arguments are that crypto can bring you know, speed. There's no reversibility. That's one thing I wanted to note. And but I, I think there's an argument to be said that some of those things that are seen as bugs in the traditional financial system, they might actually be features. And I guess it relates to what you were just talking about in real payments. So do you have any thoughts about, about this structural, fundamental, I guess, features or, or bugs of, of both systems? What do you think of reversibility and, you know, maybe... T plus two versus you know, real-time irreversible. So reversibility versus irreversibility. So all faster payment methods and crypto, they share the same premise that you know it's not a reversible transaction, which is what actually makes it super attractive to fraudsters, right? Because once the money has gone, it's really gone. Now, there is something to be said about your speed of money movement. I would say, I would always argue that, you know, when you're moving money out of a platform, even if you added like 10 or 30 seconds of delay to do some of the fraud checks, that's actually, you know, much more beneficial to the customer in case they fat fingered something and therefore they send money to the wrong destination or in case they were being socially engineered, right? Because the consumer is not going to notice the difference between zero seconds or 30 seconds, right? So that is one thing I think a lot about. The second thing I think a lot about is this whole notion of establishing liabilities, right? Which in a lot of sense means trust. The reason a lot of folks still trust using the credit card to buy goods is because the card networks, Visa and MasterCard and others, they have really gotten together issuers and merchants to establish liability. 
And the consumer trusts the fact that, you know, they can call up their bank and the bank will make them whole in case they were duped. But these faster payment methods, since there's no regulatory parity on who really the owns the liability, so therefore the customer trust angle is still probably a little bit missing until someone comes in and says that, hey, you know, go ahead and move money via a faster payment method and I will take care of you in case you are being duped. And at Sardine, we believe in you know, doing exactly that because we, we offer fraud indemnifications as well, right? So today, we offer fraud guarantees when you're loading money into a wallet via ECHO cards, right? We are actively thinking about in the world of real-time payments, what does that indemnification look like? Uh, in that world, should an entity like Sardine step in and say that, hey, so long as the bank is doing, you know, all the following technical checks, like they have Sardine's behavior as decay, they're checking the counterparty, can Sardine step in and say, okay, we'll make the consumer whole even if they got social GA. That 30 second delay, that, uh, roughly, that you mentioned for payments, it reminds me of the feature on Gmail, for example, or Superhuman to delay your email being sent for 5, 10, 30 seconds. It's definitely saved me a few times. <laughs> so it makes complete sense. I was talking recently to someone that leads anti-fraud for a, a large B2B financial institution. And I was amazed at the number of providers that they use to ensure, you know, that they're fully buttoned up. And, and it's a long list. And I'm sure you know this much better than I do. Do you think we will see a world where there's a rebundling, I guess, of the anti-fraud stack? Or, or do you think, you know, that's just that the industry needs to live with dozens of providers? No, absolutely. That's something that we think quite a bit about. And one of the reasons why I started Sardine was very similar. I was managing about 30 different data providers, 30 contracts, etc. when I was leading risk for Coinbase. And there is a need for so many different data sources because there's no silver bullet in short prevention. You have to look at email identity, social media identity, telco identity, bureaus. You have to look at card network data, bank data, et cetera, right? So you have to do all of that. And of course, you have to look at device and behavior data. But we got to make it easier for the buyer. So that's one of our premise. We at Sardine, we are one contract, one API, one dashboard product for all your fraud and compliance needs. Because we have done the hard work of integrating all those 30 to 40 different data partners. We, in fact, give you the raw data that comes from all those partners as well. However, what we do is we add in our secret sauce of our device and behavior data, just proprietary to Sardine, and we apply our proprietary machine learning models to give you the benefit of all these 30, 40 different data sources to do your fraud fighting. So let's talk about, in our last five minutes, let's talk about building a company and throughout the last three and a half years and even before you've built teams and large companies but most recently are, are there any big lessons that you did not anticipate that you've encountered yeah so one of the biggest lessons in the early days was we had three co-founders right so myself adi and zahid we all met at revolute in the early days decided that, you know, in order to do sales, we'll hire someone to do sales for us. You know, that quite didn't work out. And then 
we realize that we have to actually step in into selling ourselves, right? And, you know, we took the company from zero to one million in ARR without a sales leader, with just, you know, all three of us jumping in sales calls and just, you know, actually handholding the customer. The reason it's very important if you're building an enterprise business, the reason it's very important to go from zero to one million ARR without having a sales leader is that you will get direct feedback from the customer. Because oftentimes we make up in our minds, you know, this is how the product should look like. But when you talk to the customer, you realize, you realize that you know, their needs are very different. So that's one reason, direct feedback from the customer. And then the second reason is sales enablement in those early days is not really a thing. You have to actually think on your feet. And as founders, you have to be able to answer the questions of the, of the customer on your feet, right? And only then can you actually bring in a sales leader. And that's what we did at Sardine. We hired someone phenomenal who has now taken us from one to yeah, another order of magnitude. How big is the company in terms of employees today? We are actually 95 people now. I was just shy of 100. And what have you learned about hiring people, bringing talent on board, and, and just doing it in the, in the best way possible? Yeah, the most important thing that I look for are three things, I would say. Proactiveness, which means also curiosity. The second thing is, you know, domain expertise or domain experience. And then the third thing is, yeah, ability to work well together in a team. So we've been really lucky with the folks that we have hired, our folks who have, you know, fought for fraud or built compliance tooling or built payment stacks at previous companies before. So they, they really know what they're doing when they come to Sardine. And of course, in the early days, it's really important that, you know, everyone on the team is working together. And thirdly, because we are a remote first company, if you're not proactive, you know, we don't really know what you're going through. No one is sitting next to you in an office to understand the, sh- the challenges you're facing until you actually proactively bring it up. So, Soups, before I let you go, let's end on a note about the future. Tell us what has you the most excited about our industry and I guess also about Sardine for the coming years? So a couple of things, right? So one interesting thing that I'm saying is that as banks started looking into supporting fintechs via banking as a service models, et cetera, they are quickly realizing that, you know, that's for them is going to be sort of a leader into them overhauling their own fraud and compliance stack for their own internal systems. So what I mean by this is the following, right? So we, we recently announced a partnership with Stearns Bank, you know, which is a Minnesota-based bank. They have built their own banking as a service tag. And they have now launched like three and several more fintechs via on, on top of that stack. We're helping them with all fraud and compliance in that stack. Now, what we're realizing is that as these banks, they look at you know, what are the modern ways of supporting fintechs via modern APIs, et cetera, they quickly realize that their old legacy account opening, et cetera, for their own stack could actually also be improved. So that is what I'm super excited about. You know, the fintech revolution is actually going to be a net positive for the banking sector as well, because it really brings them or fast forwards them into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we're starting to see it. There, there's no doubt. And hopefully we can have a, a more modern industry, increasingly so. But but Soups, really appreciate you you coming on board. 
admire what you guys are building. I think you're you're going to have a lot of a lot of interest from the audience and in learning because this is a problem that everyone in the industry and anyone that deals with payments is grappling with. So thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on this. Miguel. real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Soup, CEO of Sardine. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and just leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whenever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. If you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armas.